0: Church, it's good to be with you here. I'm in Ottawa. I um, here this morning. I don't normally do that kind of thing, so it's a little overwhelming for me. I'm not that cool I like, oh, that I like this. It's just cool to be here, all right? So, hope you're <laughs> glad to be here too. Um, that song we just sung, Holy, 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 I want you to have that in the, your mind as we go into our passage today. If you have a Bible, you can flip over to Psalm 32. If you don't, put your hand up and someone will bring one to you um but thinking about the reality that God is holy and perfect and you can have a relationship with him that's awesome that he who reigns supreme over all who Hebrew says he spoke and uh, created everything and he upholds the universe by the word of his power you can have a relationship with him that's awesome that's amazing that, like, we can go home now. We've reminded ourselves of the goodness and the greatness and the awesomeness and the amazingness of who God is. And the fact that his word tells us that we can have a relationship with him, like, okay, that's great. Let's go to Swiss Chalet. That's awesome, right? Okay, here's the deal. God's word wants us to think about that often. Over and over, it comes up in his word. You ever had uh, a relationship with somebody where things aren't so good for a little while? Maybe it's because of something you did or you said. You you hurt the person. You maybe were a little careless, maybe selfish, just your attitude with that person. And and now things are awkward. Maybe maybe you haven't been the one, the offending party, but maybe you've been the offended one. And you have the opportunity to forgive. Listen, how good is it when like a weird relationship and the awkwardness in it goes away? That's so good. When like things are like if you have a fight with somebody and then you clear it all up and get it all settled, you're just like, okay, everything's like great again. That's all that's so good, right? It's so good to not be in that place. Listen, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can have that with God. The title of Psalm 32 is Blessed Are the Forgiven. It has to do with the end result of the gospel. If you know the gospel, if you know the good news that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us that so we can be forgiven of our sins through faith in Jesus then it's awesome, that you are blessed, that you can have joy, that you can have peace. The problem is that we don't go about our daily lives thinking about that as often as we should, because if we thought about that more, it would change the way that we think and act and treat other people. And so God's word reminds us over and over, hey, listen, I love you, God says, I love you so much, and we're good if your faith is in me. Listen, if you're here this morning and your faith is not in Jesus, then the opposite is your reality. That you are not in a good place with God. But here, me, loved ones, you can be. How sweet is that? That is the truth and the reality of the gospel. That we can be blessed and forgiven through the work of Jesus for us. Straight up, we all need this. If you're kind of here right now, and you're kind of like, oh yeah, okay, I've heard the gospel before, and I know that I have sin, and now Jesus has forgiven it. Like, you need to hear it again. I need to hear it again. Every day that I begin to think that I'm like, I'm kind of making it when it comes to living. For Jesus, is another day where I'm just like filling myself with more pride and believing the lies of the evil one, that I don't need God's help. So we need to be reminded of these things. I want to give you a couple verses, not from Psalm 32, but just before we start here. Psalm 14, verse 3. They all have turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. If you're kind of sitting here right now, and you're like, okay, I get this is for some people here today, but not really for me. I don't know if we've met yet, but I'm pretty righteous. No, you're not. You haven't made it, neither have I. Ecclesiastes 7. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth, the writer says, who does good and never sins. There's nobody like that. We know the verse in Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death but the gift of God of If you're here today and you have received the gift of God, the finished work of Jesus on your behalf, you have joy. You are blessed. Now, having the title, Blessed are the Forgiven, often people kind of think about, okay, blessed. I want to be blessed. How much? And we, we have a wrong understanding of what it means to be blessed. The greatest blessing that any of us can ever have is to be made right with the creator and sustainer and upholder of the universe. Let's just start there. There's lots of things in our life we are kind of like, well, this is kind of falling apart, so like God, if you could come alongside and fix that, that'd be great, that'd be a blessing. Well, yeah, but greater than all of the things that are falling apart, maybe just at your house. This summer has been like the summer of like, hey, some things needed to get done in our house. We had to do that. We had to like save for the last three years to do like the roof and the steps and the driveway. It's like, hey, well, now we're not any money anymore. And But you've got to do these things because you've got to take care of them. And it would be easy to sit back and go, man, we are so blessed because we were able to do those things. When we're not blessed because we were able to do those things, we are blessed truly because we're made right with God. And the psalmist, David, as he writes here in Psalm 32, he's going to begin to unpack this for us. But let me just pray uh, one more time before we jump into this. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the um, imparting of your word to us by your spirit. I thank you for your son Jesus Christ who makes all of this possible. And I pray, Lord, that this morning here, God, you would teach us from your word the truth and the reality of the hope and the peace and the joy and how awesome it is to be blessed and forgiven. Lord, that would be such an awe-inspiring, future-redefining, destiny-changing truth in our lives. God, only you can do this. So would you speak to me? God, I need to hear this again. Would you speak to the loved ones in this room, brothers and sisters in Christ, would you encourage them with this truth? And God, if there are people here who have not received the blessing of genuine forgiveness through faith in (laughs) Jesus Christ, God, would you impart that this morning? Would you give them eyes to see and ears to hear and faith-filled hearts to respond? God, that you would get glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 32, let me read the first two verses for us here. It says this, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. These first two verses are amazing because they are the gospel. They are like the summary of the gospel. All of the gospel rolled up, unpacked in your life. If you have faith in Jesus, this is it. Blessed, you see, right at the very beginning there. That's made happy. That's true, intentional, not fading joy. That's what you have. There's lots of things that our world tries to give us that say, oh, you're good, plus, if you have that, oh, what if it falls apart? Well, this will make you happy. Nothing satisfies like what you see in this verse. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, the wrongs, the the sin in our life. Verse two, blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Uh, David is writing this. He knows how big of a a deal sin is. And I understand you were in Psalm 51 just a couple weeks ago. And right there at the beginning, he's like, my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned, God. Because he knows sin is a huge deal. So the reverse of that, that if sin is gone, that's an even bigger, because now all of the, that I couldn't, all I could do was produce more sin. All I could ever do was increase my separation from God. That is all removed, and now I'm reunited and I'm made right with you, God. That's I'm excited because David's excited here. Okay. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Awesome. He gets it. He understands how big of a deal it is to be made right with God. I wrote in my Bible beside this, this is me because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. No iniquity in your account anymore. Transgression, sin, removed, forgiven. I love that how it just says Blessed is the man whom the Lord counts no iniquity. What well, should be accounted to you? Jesus is like, I got that. That's on my account now. Not accounted to you. Not accounted to me. If our faith is in Jesus, if we have put our faith for forgiveness of sin in Jesus Christ, this is our reality. But if our sins are not forgiven, then none of this is true for us. We're in a place of separation. We're in a place where we have to give an account for our sin. Now, the title of this is blessed are the forgiven. The title of the song is blessed are the forgiven. I didn't make it up. I just went with what was in the Bible because that just makes the most sense, right? Now, David begins to unpack. Then, how do you kind of live this out? How do you get this? Let me let me read the next uh, couple of verses here. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away; through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So just think about that at the end there in verse 5. Acknowledging sin, forgiveness of iniquity, and then back to the very beginning when he started off and said, Blessed is the one. Listen, This blessing is true joy, it comes with forgiveness. This is point number one this morning if you like to write things down. True forgiveness leads to true joy. If you have true and genuine forgiveness in Jesus Christ, then you have reason to have true joy. True joy that the rest of the world can't get close to. True joy that the rest of the world can't even really begin to imagine because they're so stuck on the things of this world. And I'll be honest, I get there too a lot and I'm just looking around and thinking about all the things that are going on in my life and not thinking about the eternal ramifications of these things. David writes, blessed are the people who are forgiven. But but go to verse 3 for a minute. He says, when I kept silent, though, my bones wasted away. Why? Because he was just quiet and getting old. No, this is about sin. He goes on there and he says, through my groaning all day long. Day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of the summer. Think about that for a minute. David's describing the weight of sin upon his life. <clears throat> Wasting away, groaning, God's hand heavy upon him. Listen, the heavy hand of the Lord for conviction is grace. Let me tell you why. Because if you don't have the heavy hand of the Lord on your life and on my life, where God is showing us, revealing through pressure and conviction and through our conscience to say that's wrong, that's sick. We don't have that. We think we're good. This is a gift from God. It's really easy to look at verses 3 and 4 and to be like, ooh, that's tough. I don't really want to go through that. But if you don't get that, you don't get repentance. If you don't understand the seriousness of your sin, you'll never understand the goodness and the graces and the the finished work of Jesus. Those who have been forgiven much, love much. Do we really understand how much we've been forgiven? Because if we do, then we should love a lot more. And so David here, he's saying, listen, like, it's a good thing. I kept silent, and I was wasting away. I was dying. Some of you are here this morning, loved ones, and it is the gift of God, it is the grace of God, the weight of your sin that you feel. The conviction that you feel in your heart when you think that thought, when you have that attitude, when you speak in that way, that is a gift from the Lord to drive you to repentance. We sung this in a song earlier, your love and kindness leads me to repentance. This is from Romans chapter 2. When we see the kindness of God, the glory of God, the mercy of Jesus Christ poured out for us, it should cause us then to step back and I don't want to, to sin anymore to live for Jesus because he has poured out love on him. Listen, so that doesn't happen if we don't first understand the seriousness of our sin. But when we do, when we do understand the seriousness of our sin, oh my goodness, how much sweeter the gospel becomes! how good the grace of Jesus Christ becomes for us. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. Oh, it's so good, end of verse five. And forgave the iniquity of my sin. God, you have done this for me. It's so good, it's so sweet. There's a few kind of people in this room right now. There's believers in Jesus Christ. There's people in this room, you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have asked him for the forgiveness of your sin. (laughs) You don't have iniquity in your account anymore. When you stand before God, although you struggle with sin here on earth, it's all forgiven. It's all taken care of. You win. You win. It's awesome. Amazing. The problem is, we kind of sit back and rest on the finished work of Jesus Christ a little more than we ought to. And God is calling to us today again to say, Listen, I'm putting my heavy hand of conviction and of weight on you because I want you to remember what it was that I died for. See? Your faith is in Him for your, your salvation. paid for your past, your present, and your future sin. That means that we need to keep thinking about those things. That's why it's so important that as believers in Jesus, we are continually repenting and calling out to God for forgiveness. Not for salvation. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are saved, you are forgiven. I don't want any believer in the room to question their salvation right now. But we need to go back to the gospel and the truth of our separation and God's mercy that it would cause us then to love our Savior and His mercy more. There's also people in the room right now, though, who you have have said a prayer at some point in your life. You articulated to God. Maybe it was someone who was speaking in a similar situation to this. Maybe they had you bow your head, and close your eyes. Maybe you even went to the front somewhere. You wrote your sin on a card at a campfire and threw it in. And I don't know what the, how the Lord was working in that moment, but but you were seeing the seriousness of your sin and your need for forgiveness. And you kind of went through some of the motions there, but a lot of it had to do with you knew that that if you have sin in your life, you're going to be separated from God for all of eternity. And so for you. It was mostly like a get-out-of-hell ticket. And you're not thinking about sin as often as you ought to. And so God's coming alongside you this morning and he's saying, listen, loved one, and I don't know whether you did those things out of selfish motives so that you don't have to pay the penalty for your sin or out of a genuine heart of thankfulness to Jesus. But this is the person who's somewhere in the middle there where you're kind of like, I'm just... I'm definitely not taking sin as seriously as I ought to. I do not have joy in the forgiveness of God in my life. Now, part of the reason of that is because so often the evil one is lying to us about the seriousness and the weight of our sin. And so we begin to believe these lies that it's not that big of a deal and I don't need to hear about it and I don't need to think about it. And so we push away the heavy hand of the Lord. My bones are wasting away. Oh, it must be just because I'm tired. Oh, it must be just because of... We make excuses... For the ramifications of sin in our life, and God's like, listen, come to me and repent. I love you. He who did not spare his own son loves you. He wants to pour a blessing on your life. Now, again, it's not the blessing in material things, but it's the blessing in knowing that you're forgiven. Blessed is the one in whom the Lord has forgiven sin. There's no more transgression. Is that you this morning? you have to understand you need this now there's people in this room right now who you you never asked God to forgive your sin you've heard the gospel maybe your parents were strong solid believers people who genuinely and passionately loved Jesus but you have never made a commitment on your own listen if that's you this morning sin is still in your account and it can be transferred to Jesus through faith in him and he is, he is speaking to you even now to say, listen, the sin is a big deal. That's the heavy hand of the Lord. That is, that is you, the feelings of wasting away, them. your strength is dried up as in a summer heat. Like there's, there's a problem in my life I need to fix. Jesus is the answer. Problem is, we don't often confess the problem that we have in our life. Now, I work with students. Ray mentioned that I uh, have been a youth pastor for fifteen years. I had more hair when I started this. is Fifteen years of youth ministry—it's thinning in the back. It's horrible. It's just like it's a cross I got to bear, I guess. But <laughs> students, there's things that you try and communicate them, and, and tell them, and, and talk with them. Sometimes that they just don't seem to get, and it's really, really frustrating, especially as like such wiser and older and more mature adults. Right. I want to give you an illustration of this. So um, students, especially in the grades of 7 and 8, and I'll just like, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, this is both boys and girls in grades 7 and 8. Often, they start to smell. And I specifically mean body odor. Like, they reek. And it's disgusting. And I've had a few incidents over the fifteen years where I've had to kind of take someone aside and "Hey, listen, man, like, Love you, and, uh, and and other people do right now, but they might not if you continue to speak like this. And you need to you need to do something more about this. Now, if you have that conversation with a grade seven boy, especially like on a retreat, he's just going to go back to his cabin, grab a bat, a can of like Axe deodorant, and just like. Phew, That is not helping anything. That's like spraying Cologne on dog poop. You have not dealt with the issue at all. It's still there. It's disgusting. You've got to remove the problem, right? That kid needs to go back to his cabin, and he needs to have a shower, and then he needs to put the odor on. Listen, you and I are the exact same. Hopefully not with the smell. But spiritually speaking, we do this all the time. We, look, we, we begin to understand the problems in our life a little bit. Someone comes along. God, by His Spirit, He reveals to us, there's a problem in your life. And we're like, okay, well, I'll just try and do a whole bunch of good things to make God be more happy with me. Wrong answer. What needs to happen is we need to go back to the spiritual shower of Jesus Christ and be cleansed through the gospel, the finished work of Jesus, and then you can put on the axio, then you can put on the living lives of worship and honor and pleasing to God. Listen, we do this all the time because we fail to admit the problem that we have at the beginning. And with students, it's really frustrating because the can smell so bad. Listen, our sin reeks to God. It's disgusting and it's repulsive. And he wants us to see it, that we can do something about it. Now again, we don't have victory on our own, but we've got to start by admitting that that it's there and it's a problem and we need help. And in just a minute, I'm going to put a a list of sin on the screen here. And I don't try this kind of thing very awkward or very often because it it can be difficult to kind of guess how the Lord's going to work in your life. Maybe, maybe I didn't put yours on there, but maybe it is. And as I just read through these for us right now, I want you to just take a minute, and even as I'm speaking right now, just be be honest before the Lord and say, God, would you reveal to me the continued error in my way that I won't believe the lies about anger? And my anxiety and bitterness and conceit and coveting, my criticalness, the deceitfulness in my heart, the depression that I have that I don't trust you, drunkenness. I Maybe mean, that's for someone here this morning. You're hiding it from family and loved ones. There's a fear and unwillingness to trust the Lord, there's a continued heart of gossip and greed and hate and idolatry. There is an impatience that is not pleasing to the Lord. You are consumed with impure thoughts. Maybe it's jealousy or a lust for pleasure or negativity or pride. Maybe it's profanity. When you're not a church, it is just foul that comes out of your mouth. Is it rebelliousness towards authority or maybe towards the Lord? Is it resentment? Are you self-centered, self-gratifying, self-obsessed? Is there sexual lust going on? Is there stubbornness? Are you unloving or unforgiving? Or just in your heart, you're totally vain and you know it. I don't put this list up here as if like I've somehow got all of these things figured out. Like I could put check marks beside some of those that are really applying to my heart too. But if we don't just start with coming to the Lord and, and confessing what the problem is. How do we get a feel the joy that comes from being made by the Him? If we're still lying about the problem. Psalm 32 5 I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity. True forgiveness leads to true joy. But true forgiveness come. doesn't come without true repentance and true confession. There's blessing loved ones, but it starts here. It starts with understanding the weight of our sin. David, as he goes on, you can see in verse 6, the very next word there, he says "is therefore. And I just want to just pause for a second because he is emphasizing because of all that's happened, because of an understanding of the problem of sin and the blessing of forgiveness, the blessing of having iniquities removed, the blessing of forgiveness, of, uh, um, sin no longer in your account. This is what happens. Okay? Therefore, let everyone who is godly. Now, this doesn't mean perfect. This means people who understand the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the love and kindness of God and are pursuing Him with their life. It's not perfect, it's not completely without error, which is great because then that could be everybody in church. Sure. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Forgiveness and blessing. Here's the next thing. Here we go. Verse two, or point number two. Sincere dependence leads to serious deliverance. If we get the joy that comes from forgiveness... God's not like, okay, I'm just gonna walk away and just like leave you to do life now. See you at judgment where I will forgive you because of, like no, He's like I got you. I still I like I didn't just come and do this one big thing. I want to care for you for the rest of your life. And so David here begins to unpack this: what dependence should look like. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to God. Prayer, prayer is a huge thing. While He may be found, notice it says when He may be found there in the verse. That's like a little bit ominous, because that would imply that there's times when he might not be so easily found. What is that all about? Let me help you understand this, okay? When things are going easy, it's really easy to find the Lord. When things are difficult, though, we often sit back and we're like, okay, I need help right now, God. I'm literally sending up a prayer. Like this is my like prayer emergency. Like, Life 911, hotline to God. God, everything's has gone our car, please help me now. And we haven't spoken in a month, but this is really, really bad. So it would be great if you stepped in. And we're kind of like, where, where is he? He's nothing. The verse, therefore let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. We need to be continually in conversation and pursuit of a relationship and depth in a relationship with God. Well, he may be found. Why? Because surely in the Russian great waters, they shall not reach him. Now, I just want to talk about that for a couple things, okay? One, it doesn't say that surely in the Russian great water, oh, but not in the believers life. There's going to be the Russian great water. It's going to get tough. It's going to be hard. But look what it says there at the end. It may not reach him. Difficulty is going to come. But if you have this established relationship with Jesus, listen, it changes everything. I wrote this down, prayerful dependence leads to perfect deliverance. If you are prayerfully dependent continually, calling out to the Lord, lifting him up in worship, revealing your heart to him, confessing your sin, making known your request before him. Listen, when difficulty comes, you know he already knows everything. He knows exactly where I am and there's a peace that comes. The waters rush in, so they don't overtake you. One commentator wrote this. A relationship of trust, reliance on God, must be built in times of peace and security, so that when trouble, mighty waters come, the one who has established communication with God may not be overcome, firm in faith, committed to God. That sincere dependence that leads to that serious deliverance in our lives. Verse seven says there, you are a hiding place for me. I want you to notice the tense of the nouns that three used here for God. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. Not you provide all of those things. It is God. He is what we need. We don't need him to come up with something to fix our problems. The, the deliverance that he has for us is himself. The question is, are we depending on him like that? What is it that we are most often depending on? One of my favorite passages of scripture when it comes to dependence on God is Judges chapter 7. And I would commend you to go home and read it later today, but I'll just give you a cool stuff if you're not familiar. Um, there's a massive army coming against Israel so big that it's they can't even count it. It's just innumerable. Gideon has about 32,000 men with him. 32,000 versus an innumerable army, that's, you're still gonna you're, you're done. Like, we can't even count them. You can at least count your guys like you're in trouble. And God comes along, and if you know those stories, he cuts the number down to 10,000. He says, hey, if you're afraid, why don't you leave? And 22,000 people leave. How, how, like, the opposite of any, like, rally cry speech you've ever heard in a movie is that, right? If that had happened to William Wallace and Braveheart, it's like, we're gonna fight. 22,000 people just walk away. Okay, we're just gonna do this without you guys. It'll be okay. All right. Like, that would be, it would be, imagine what Gideon's going through, right? All right, guys, if you're afraid, you can leave, but God is on our side. 22,000 people walk away. Okay, all right. Well, there's a few of us left—ten thousand, which is still a lot. So maybe we have a chance. God's like, no, 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 no. You don't even know anything about dependence yet. Let's go a little further, and God takes them through this little this little journey, and they end up with three hundred people. Three hundred people. You want to talk about dependence? All of Gideon's eggs are in God's basket at this point. He has put everything on the finished work of God, on the dependence of God, on God's deliverance, because he can't do it now. All he's got is 300 guys who don't even really, like, it's just, when they go to fight, they've got, like, a sword and a trumpet and a lantern. That's it. That's, oh, my God. And God's like, okay, blow the trumpet and yell. Yeah. And they're like, Okay. They're like waving for the Lord. you got to go read Judge chapter 7. It's awful. Awesome. But the Lord brings them to this place because He wants them to see listen, you need me. I'm the only one who can help you. Whether it's 32,000 or 300, the only way you're going to get victory is through me. Listen, God is saying that to you and to me again this morning. I don't know what you have going on in your life. I know, like, nobody in this room. But I know this you've got mighty waters that are at your doorstep. You've got challenging things that are coming. You've got temptation of sin, just like I do. You've got things of this world that are overwhelming to us so often. What we need is not to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, is not to give ourselves another pep talk. What we need, look there in verse seven again with me. God, you are a hiding place for me. We need him. You preserve me from trouble. We need him. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. What we need is God. That is what we need in all of our problems. So I want you to write this down. It's this a little sentence, okay? I need to fuel my faith fire. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. And there's three parts to fueling your faith fire. Okay? There's the Word of God. There's prayer, and there's worship. We're going to skip the word but we're going to hit that in the last point in just a minute. But let's just talk about prayer and worship, okay? So if you're going to fuel your faith fire, if you think about your faith for God as a fire, and, and how much is it ablaze, how much roaring is going on there? If you're honest, this morning, some of you are here, and it's like, it's like, you know when you go camping, and you have a great bonfire the night before, and then you get up in the morning, and it's just like ash, and there's some smoke? Some of you, that's where your faith level's at this morning. You're like, yeah, we're going to need some work here. We're going to need some tinder. We're gonna need. That is what we're talking about. What do you got to put on there then? You need God's word, you need prayer, and you need worship. Again, we're going to talk about word in a second. Let's just talk about prayer for a minute. Are you talking to God? Now, verse 6 says, to offer to him prayer at a time when he may be found. Do you communicate with God? Do you speak to him? He loves you. He showed us his love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on the cross for us. He cares what's going on in your life and in mine. He wants us to come in and he wants us to talk, to do we? Now, maybe you're like, well, I feel like whenever I talk to God, I'm just like asking for things. And I know he doesn't really want me to do that because, that, you know, then I'm just kind of being greedy. And, okay, well, then you've got to learn to pray. And we'll talk about that again we'll, in the next point. We're going to get on that a little. But, but are you coming to him at all? Because there should be this coming and there should be worship. This exalting of God, of who he is. Just even reminding yourself, just talking to him. You know when someone comes along and you haven't seen him in a while, they're like, man, it's so good to see you. Like, you're always so kind and so sweet and so generous like and so compassionate to me. It's like, it just busts my heart to be with you. When somebody does that to you, you're just kind of like, oh, that's so great. Right? We're encouraged by that. They were thinking about how wonderful you are, and you get blessed by that. Listen, God wants us to do that when we come to Him. Remind ourselves of all of the wonderful, because they were worshiping Him and we're telling Him all of these things. But we're also reminding ourselves of the truth of these things. Is that what we're doing? Are we talking to God? Are we praying? Are we coming to Him with thankfulness, with worship, with confessing sin, and making requests of the One who knows to the One who knows all things? Just think about that for a second. It's kind of crazy, that we even feel like we need to do that because like, he's sovereign over everything. And he loves us, but he still calls us to come and talk to him. We need to worship, too. This is how we build our faith fire. We sang a lot of great songs this morning, but well, all the songs were great this morning. But the reason why they were great songs was because they have true and accurate theology in them. Now, worship happens in a lot of different ways, but if you're like me, you kind of think of, when it's time for worship, you're like, okay, I know like giving up my offering is worship, and serving in all kids, those are, those are acts of worship, but when I'm like focusing in, it's either with me reading God's word, or listening to worship music. And um, you know how like when an athlete's preparing for something, how they like, they kind of like work it, I've never done this, obviously, but when you're getting ready to like run a big race, you like, they work so that they peak at the right moment, where they're like kind of like training, training, and find finally, race, day. comes to like that. I'm in my best spot there, right? As a preacher, I, I try to do this when it comes to worship. And I have to like time so that I don't like peak too early, get like so fired up before I'm here. I've had this happen before. You're like driving somewhere, you're listening to worship music. I'm just like weeping, calling out to God, so thankful for the finished work of Jesus in my car, and I'm still 20 minutes from wherever I need to be. And then I get there and you get talking and then you're kind of like, okay, I'm so excited about it. Okay, listen, we need to be, are we even consciously thinking about that all the time? Do we need to all the time be on this training path where we're continually going before the Lord. Maybe it's just some songs, and I'm sure that you can look at the Psalms at the end of the Psalms and see the names of all these Psalms and write them down and go home and make yourself a little playlist. And just this week, just like every, every morning, Or while you are making dinner? Just put the playlist on in the background and have true theology of who God is and what He has done in song be fed into your mind. We do this at our house, and it's hilarious now, as we have a 10, 7, 4, 10-month-old, 10-month-old doesn't do this, but the 4 and the 7-year-old especially, they're like walking around singing worship songs. They don't even know what the words mean. They just know the song now, and as they're beginning to know the song, then I'll hear them singing sometimes, I'm like, hey, do you know what that means? And they're like, no, it's a song was playing while she was making dinner. Okay, oh, well, let me explain that to you. And they're like, oh, okay. And then they continue to walk around and sing this song. What is happening there? We're building their faith. But are we doing that in our own lives? When we do this, it, it gives a greater willingness and an excitement to be dependent on the Lord which will lead to Him delivering in big and awesome and amazing ways. Let's keep going here. Verse 8. The author, the, the speaker in the psalm changes here. Everything so far has been from the heart of the psalmist, but now he's kind of speaking on God's behalf. <gasps> He says, As I will instruct you. This is God speaking now. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. We know this because David's dead, so he can't currently be doing this. Okay. But God is doing this, and he does this, and he's doing it actually right now from his word. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. about that for a minute. God wants to instruct. God wants to guide us. He wants to to help us. Are we willing to listen? Verse 9 there can be very convicting if you just think about what's, what's being said there. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding. Essentially, God's saying, listen, in love, don't be a donkey. I wrote that in my Bible sentence to remind myself. Like, don't be a dumb mule. But that's what we often are. The Lord's coming along and he's like, listen, I want to correct you. You're falling off the path. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not sting you. Like God's like, I, I care for you and I want you to listen. I don't want, I want to have to take you through difficulty. I don't want you to fall off the path. I don't want you to walk into the thorn bush. But that means we've got to listen to instruction. This is our last point this morning. Intentional listening leads to intense love. If we begin to actually listen to what God is communicating and instructing us with, it will lead to great love. Love from him for us and knowing how blessed we are, but then a love that is going to flow from us to others. As we get how good and kind and great he is as he instructs us. I love in verse 8 there, it says, that, I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Have you ever been counseled with someone's eye upon you? Think about that. Someone's watching you, and by the way they watch you, they're telling you what to do. Maybe you're like, that sounds weird. I don't think that's ever happened. To you. If you have a driver's license, it's happened. Because you're in your driver's test, right? And you're sitting there, and the whole time you're kind of like glancing over at them, you're like, Am I doing it right? He says, right, we have a crash. You're not dead, so something must be going right here, right? I remember when I took my driving test, um, I got stuck in the snow. That's not supposed to happen. I grew up in Huntsville area, and I came up this hill to a stop sign, and I stopped. I did everything exactly how I was supposed to, and I put my foot off the brake, and I put my foot on the gas, and the wheels just went, whoo, so then I'm like, I don't, I don't even know what to do in this situation, I mean like, driver's test, honestly, I would have rolled the stop, because I knew there was no way I was ever gonna get going again, but I'm in a driver's test, I can't roll a stop sign, I'm gonna fail for sure. So now I'm looking at the person, I'm just kinda like, <laughs> <laughs> we're stuck on a hill now. So I'm like, okay, brake, four-way flashers, emergency brake, um, what should we do now? I didn't even know, and there's like, what would you do in this situation? And I didn't say, well I would have roll the stop sign. So now, I have to, Back all the way down this hill. In the middle of a driving test, the whole way I'm like looking at them, but also like checking all of the mirrors to make sure they're seeing me check all of the mirrors and then back in them. And now I drive all the way up the hill, I get to the stop sign, and I look at them, and I'm like, eh. and then I just rode around the stop sign. And I got my license, so it was okay. Because at the end, I was like, what was I supposed to do there? And then the guy was like, no, you did great, don't worry about it. Here's the craziest part about that story. There was a lady in the back seat who was testing that guy on his testing ability. <laughs> so, like, he couldn't have mercy on me if he wanted to because he would have failed his test, too. But the whole time I'm doing this and I'm looking at her in the rear view, I'm looking at him, and I'm just like, nah, nah, they're watching me. Listen, God's watching you. All the time, he knows what's going on. Is that changing the way that you live, think, act, the things that you do on the internet, the, the shows that you watch on TV, the places you go, the people you talk to, the words that you say, he is watching. We don't think about that as often as we should. We're rolling through life with our hands, chilling out, and, and God sitting beside us is like, you're going to fail this test, man. And God, in His grace and His mercy, He wants to teach us. The question is, will we listen? The best place that God speaks to us and instructs us is from His Word. And I want to commend to you this sentence I heard a long time ago. You need to get in God's Word where it intersects with your life. You need to be in God's Word all the time. There's going to be seasons of your life where you're just like, yeah, I want like, this cool reading plan or something like that. But there's going to be other times where you are in a specific situation, and just like hitting the reading plan to kind of check the box is not going to be the best thing for your life spiritually. And you need to get in God's Word where it's going to intersect with your life so you can listen to Him with things that you need help with. If you came to me and asked me about how to change your oil in your car, I'm going to be like, uh, you, that's you, I don't know anything about that. But often... You know, I know lots about other stuff. So I am not okay. But So you can ask me about other things, but not that. I can't help with the one thing you need. We do that with the Lord sometimes. We go to Him and we're like, hey, I need help with um, this, but I'm going to ask you this question right now. That's foolishness. So i want to put up this list of things. It's just helpful things. Someone shared this with me a long time ago of how to just intentionally get in God's Word. If you need a reminder that you need to be in God's Word, I commend to you Psalm 19. One of the best psalms. They're all amazing, but Psalm 19. I went through a season in my life where I was just I was reading the Bible often, but struggling with why I should be reading the Bible. So I committed for a month. I read Psalm 19 every morning four times. I should have had it memorized by the time I got to at the end, but I got at least the conviction that I needed to be in God's Word. Form. Maybe you're battling with sin and you need encouragement from God's Word. Romans six and seven. Go there. You are not alone. But so often we feel alone, and we got to flip over to God's Word. What's the next thing I'm reading? Line? You need to go to Romans six and seven and see that Paul, one of the greatest preachers of all time, he struggled with sin, and look at how he articulated that with God and how him and God conversed on this. Assurance of Salvation, John 10, Romans 8. Listen, if you are not sure you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God's word wants to give you peace and joy and clarity on that. Go find it. It's in there. you need wisdom? Any proverb? (laughs) But Proverbs 3 is a great place to start. Are you in a trial? Are you in a difficult season? James 1, Hebrews 12 is all about that. James 1 is all about trusting the Lord and staying in your trial. That's scary. I don't like that. But this is the reality of what God's Word says to us. And it doesn't just say, hey, stay there in your trial. But you have to go read James 1 to see what it says that God's going to do as we say that. You need to learn to pray more accurately. Matthew 6, you can go there and see Jesus says. When you pray, pray like this. You need fuel for your faith. Just go to Psalm 121. Just right there, there is so much fuel for your faith and your commitment and your love for Jesus. Will you get in God's word where it intersects with your life? Again, all of this, though, goes back to the first point. Blessed and forgiven because of the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. True forgiveness leads to true joy. And if you have that, loved ones, if you have that, then God wants to continually work in your life that you can depend on him and he will deliver you. That you can listen to him and he will love you. Some of you know you don't have that forgiveness yet. So you don't have the joy. You don't have the peace. Jesus is saying, Listen, come, be forgiven. Have peace through the work of mine that I did for you on the cross. God is like, this is why I sent my son. Put your faith in him and then depend on him for all of the things that go on in life. The joy when you're made right with God for all of eternity. Knowing that he cares for you and he wants to take care of you, that he loves you. That you can be, just like David writes, blessed for the forgiven. You can be blessed because of what God has done for you and his love for you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that in your kindness and your mercy, we don't just leave us here stuck on earth in our sin. But you make a way for us to be forgiven of our sin through your Son, Jesus Christ? Forgiven of our sin and made right with you who upholds the universe by the word of your power, you who are perfectly holy and righteous, Lord. I pray, God, that this morning we would be feeling more blessed, those of us whose faith is in Jesus Christ, because our transgressions are forgiven and our sin is covered. Psalm 32, 11, it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy all you upright in heart. God, would this be the reality of our lives? Because we know Jesus, because we have hope, would we be thankful? Would we be joyful? Would we be prayerfully dependent? And would you deliver us? Would you continue to speak and communicate and instruct us? And would we listen and watch and receive your loving hand of care upon us. God, I pray for those who are in this room right now, Lord, who have not put their faith in you. God, would you draw them to yourself? Would you, in your kindness, allow your heavy hand of conviction upon them and lead them to repentance? God, that you would get glory. Lord. We need you to do all of this. I didn't do this in my life. I'm not currently doing this in my life. This is what you are doing in my We need you to do this in all of our lives. Please, God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.